Let's get started. Today's daf is daf Lam and Gimel 33. We're starting at the two dots towards the top of 33a of Lam and Gimel and Aleph, which is at Tefillah. So just to remember, we had a Mishnah, and in the Mishnah we said that there were certain, we said actually I think seven, seven things that needed to be stated, sorry, that were able to be stated even in any language that you understood, and then eight that were specifically needing to be stated in Lashon HaKodesh. So we're going to continue now going through the sources, how we know that these items could be said in any language versus Lashon HaKodesh. And then at the end of the daf today, we're going to have a very interesting debate where exactly the incident of the Brachas and Klolos took place in the days of Yeshua ben Nun. Very interesting. There's going to be two shitas, we'll see, of Yehuda and Rabbi Yezer, as to where in, in the other side of the Yardain, on the western banks of the Yardain, um, this incident of the Brachas and Klolos took place. So let's get started at Tefillah, it's about uh, six, seven lines down the page, Tefillah. We said in the Mishnah, Tefillah could be in any language. So the Gemara says, for this, we don't even need a biblical source. Because for this, the fact that Tefillah, prayer, the Amida, could be in any language, it's logical. Why? Because Rachamehi, meaning when a person prays, he's asking mercy for himself. And call Hechi Deboi Matzli, however he wants to pray, he could pray. Meaning when you pray and you're asking for mercy, you have to be able to understand what you're saying. And however you can vocalize that, that would be acceptable. Asks the Gemara, V'tvila b'chalashon, is tvila really able to be said in any language? V'ha'amar of Yehuda, of Yehuda taught us, L'olam al yishal adam tzracha b'lashon aramis. Very interesting. A person should not ask his needs in Aramaic. Now why shouldn't he ask his needs in Aramaic? D'amar of Yochanan, because of Yochanan taught, K'lashayal tzracha b'lashon arami. Anybody that asks his, for his needs from Hashem in tvila in Aramaic, the heavenly angels do not support him. So what does that mean? Rashi seems to understand over here, as we'll see in the continuum of the sugya, that to some degree, oh, sorry, let's finish the line, because the heavenly angels do not recognize Aramaic. Apparently, when a person prays, the heavenly angels take his prayers and place them in front of Hashem. So the Gemara says this, if they can't interpret his prayers, they can't place them properly in front of Hashem. And apparently they can't interpret Aramaic. So Bukhari, you see, you can't pray in every language. So the Gemara answers, Lokashya. It's a big yesod about tefillah. There's not a difficulty. When you're davening by yourself and you're not bolstered by the tefillah of the public, of the tzibur, of the minion, so there you have to pray specifically in Lashon HaKodesh so that it, you know, it goes straight to, the, straight to where it needs to go, delivered to the door. As opposed to when it comes to other languages, uh, when you pray with the tzibur, even if you pray in a different language, because you have the koch of the tzibur, Rashi says Hashem does not... Well, well, Hashem says, uh, Rashi says here that when you pray with the tzibur, the tzibur's power is so strong, Hashem never detests that tefillah. It always accepts that tefillah, even if it's in some somewhat of a foreign language. Is he to understand the language you're praying in? No, 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 you have to understand. You have to understand. Well, we say, understand Arabic? You pray in Arabic. I mean, I, I mean I'm not Arabic. Aramaic? Aramaic. Yeah. Well, well, so now we're saying you could theoretically pray in that language. That's right, right. If you're, if you're with tzibur, right. Because then you don't need to rely on the koch of the tzibur. It seems to go straight to the source. I guess you wouldn't need the malachim to support you. 
So the Gemara now challenges that. But one second. Is it true that the heavenly angels don't recognize Aramaic? Is that true? We're about to show two incidences where there were Baskols. Now, Baskol is not exactly a voice of a voice of Hashem necessarily, but the Gemara interprets here that it's a, it's a voice of a Malach. There's a Malach that's appointed over a Baskol, and what the Gemara is about to show is that there were two incidences where there was a Baskol, or a heavenly message that was sent, which we interpret means from a Malach, and it was in Aramaic. So the Gemara says, Lachar, they do it under, interpret, they do understand Aramaic. Do the heavenly angels not recognize Aramaic? But we have a Brysa. Brysa says as follows, He heard a Baskol from the inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim. When he was after the service on Yom Kippur, he heard the following Baskol heeding good news. And what did it say? Shoimer, the Baskol was proclaiming, it literally means the young sheep were successful who went to fight war against Antiochus. But the way it wasn't to be interpreted was that the young Kohanim that went to fight against Antioch were successful in their battle. This was in the incident of the Chashmonoim, I think. Rashi here says, yeah, base Chashmonoi. The point is, is that that's all in Aramaic. So you see the Basko was able to speak Aramaic. L'chaira, the Malachim, understand Aramaic. B'shuv. So the Gemara at this point interprets that it's a message from Mal. That's what the Gemara assumes at this point. Veshuv Maisa, and furthermore, there was a story by Shimon Atzadik regarding Shimon Atzadik. Shishama Baskol, based Kodesh Hakadoshim, he also heard a Baskol from the Kodesh Hakadoshim. Shau Aimer, and it was saying as follows: Betelas Avidisa, the soldiers that uh, were attacking were nullified. It's referring to the Greek army. Da'amar Sana La'Aisa Alechala, that the enemy had said he wants to come against the Beis HaMikdash to destroy it. V'nerag Gaskalgas, which I believe is Caligula, and Caligula has been killed, Ubatlu Gezeroisov, and his decrees were nullified. Again, the point is, is that this was a, a Baskol referencing the Greek army, but the point is, is that again, you see this is clearly in Aramaic. The voice Asha, and in that story, Shemun Tzadik wrote down what time it was when he heard that Basko, Vikivnu, and then he calculated and realized that it was exactly the same time as to when this incident actually occurred. So there was truth to it. But the Gemara says, You see, the Basko emerged in Aramaic. So you see, clearly, the Malachim do understand Aramaic. So the Gemara gives two terutsim for this. Answer number one. Either you could say, really, meaning it's for people to understand. Since Aramaic was the spoken language, that's the purpose of a baskol, is to communicate a language. So the way Rashi Rashi understands this is the malach that was appointed over a baskol, the shliach in in heaven, whatever it is, that's appointed over a baskol, he could understand and communicate in Aramaic because that was the spoken language. So it makes sense then that that the being or whatever the malach appointed over the baskol would understand Aramaic, as opposed to, for example, the other malachim perhaps don't. 
alternatively, we could answer, really, generally, Malachim do not understand Aramaic, but Gavriel Hava, the one that communicated these Baskols that came in Aramaic, that was the Malach Gavriel. Now, the Malach Gavriel, as we're going to see in a later story in this Masechta with Yosef HaTzadik, he knew Aramaic as well. How do we know that? Because we're going to learn later on Daflam and Vav that when Yosef was in jail, you know, he was in the boar, he was in the uh, prison, and then he was meant to be taken out and become the viceroy of Egypt. So the Gemara is going to tell us in order to be the viceroy, to show his stature, he had to be able to speak 70 languages. And one of those would be Aramaic. So the point is, Gavriel came and taught him, the Malach Gavriel taught him all those languages. So Gavriel came and taught him 70 languages. So you see, Gavriel understood all of the languages. And it could be the one who gave the calls also was Malach Gavriel. What's I mean, what all the Malach about? is not a physical being. Of Correct. Yeah, but it can, could communicate, I guess. If it can communicate in a billion language, I mean, if it, it's Correct. not a physical Correct. being. I mean, so, uh, Correct. So, Correct. so you're asking why would there be a limitation? Yeah, I, mean, what's the I hear, I hear, I hear. You say it's a good, nice question. I don't know. Well, you have to really figure that out. Why would it be that there's a limitation in Aramaic? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I agree. I agree. That's right. Well, Ladino wasn't the language of the people they lived in. Ladino was the Jewish language. But it was the Jewish version. But we always adapt that. Yeah. We always make some changes. Right, but what does that have to do? What I'm saying is that, you know, we had Loshim Kodesh from the very beginning. Yeah, so. Yeah. Why did not we use the Loshan Kodesh to communicate among ourselves? And we allowed well, the did. local population to prevail on us culturally with their language. Because Loshan Kodesh was the whole thing. They didn't want to use it for every day. Okay, but, but then, then Loshan Kodesh. It's by the it could be they, they, they hold Yiddish as Loshan Kodesh. That's what I was told <laughs> when I was go- growing up. You know, we don't speak, we don't, co- we yeah. don't converse in That's Hebrew. That's right, right. We dabble in Hebrew. We dabble in Hebrew. And, you know, <laughs> at a certain point, we get we, we get abs- uh, influenced no, by our surroundings. No, because you came with Eretz Israel. In Eretz now, Loshon Hakodesh is the everyday language, although it's not it's not difficult like Hebrew. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. A, anyways, it's but what does that have to do with the sugya? Meaning, in this regard, we're talking about the Malachis. I don't know. I don't know, Doctor. I don't know over there. Yeah, I don't know. I hear that. Yeah, right, 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 right. Right here, right here. So I, 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 I think that it just happens that that because in those countries mm-hmm. that was a predominant language that we picked it up and we for sure. That makes sense. Whatever we were. Makes sense. Makes sense. Birchas HaMazun, we said in the Mishnah that Birchas HaMazun could be said in any language. How do we know that? Because the Pasuk says, and this is the source for Birchas HaMazun, which is Dairaisa, It says you shall eat, be satisfied, and bless Hashem your God. Now it doesn't say it has to be specifically in any language. It doesn't even have a format, by the way. Chazal came and gave us what that format was. But the point is, since there's no spe- specification, in any language that you bless, theoretically on a Dairaisa level, you could be Now we already have Takanas, how you have to say it, so therefore it would already be in a specific way. But in the terms of language, it doesn't have to be specifically Lashna Kodesh. Now we said in the Mishnah 
there were two, uh, last two in the list. Shvuas Edus and Shvuas HaPikadon. Shvuas Edus, we said, is if two people who know, knowingly deny testimony that they really could contribute to a case. Right? So meaning I bring in two witnesses to court to testify that I, I know they have information about this case and they swear that we don't know. So in that case, the Allah is going to be that they'll be liable based on the fact that they denied testimony. And we said, and even if they deny and swear falsely in any language, it doesn't have to be in Lashon HaKadosh Tichsib, because it says in the Pasuk, It says, a soul that will sin, vishama. Now, vishama means it will be heard, the sound of an oath or the sound of a swear. It doesn't say they swear. It says it will be heard. Why does it say it will be heard? It's implying in any language that it's heard means if they swear in, in their own language, that would also make them liable for denying the testimony that they really were privy to. And similarly, when somebody swears that he doesn't have money or an item that belongs to somebody else, there's also somewhat of a punishment that fall, the fallout of it. And that could be in any language as well. And the Gemara says, There's a Gezer Shava that uses the same word, as we just proved, could be in any language. And it also says, that could be in any language as well. All right, let's move on now. Now, the Mishnah had told us the following eight items, which are listed in the Mishnah and Lambez and Madalif, could, be said in any, uh, could only be said in Lashna Kaidish. So we said, Mikrobikurim, Bechalitza, Chule. Mikrobikurim, Chalitza, etc. So then the Mishnah went on to say, Ad Mikrobikurim, Ketzat. We said, where, Where's the source that Mikrobikurim specifically has to be in Lashna Kaidish? So we had a Gezer Shava. So Tanakhama said like this, It says, when you bring the first fruits to the base of Mikdash, you shall lift your voice and say in front of Hashem your God, and elsewhere regarding the incident of Brachus and Klolos, which we'll discuss later today, the Pasuk says, The Levim lifted their voice and they said, To all the Jewish people, Just as when it says, that language of lifting your voice by the Levium in the story of the Brachus and Klalos, the curses and blessings when they crossed over the Jordan, that was done in Lashna Kodesh. Afkan, so too, by Mikrobikurim, but Lashna Kodesh, it has to be done in Lashna Kodesh. That was what the Mishnah basically said. So the Gemara says, but one second, how do you know that the story of the Levium itself was done in Lashna Kodesh? We didn't show the source for that, and that's going to ultimately be the source for Mikrobikurim as well. So the Gemara says, according to the Tanakama, as we said, that he learns, that the Tana of our Mishnah, he learns, Mikrobikurim has to be in Lashna Kodesh from the word Aniyah as it's stated by Leviim. Well, how do you know that the story of the Brachas and Klolos has to be in Lashna Kodesh? Leviim Gufayim So the Gemara answers, he learns a second Gezer Shava to teach us that the Leviim, the story of, of uh, Brachas and Klolos, had to be in Lashna Kodesh. Asya Kol Kol Mi Moshe. He derives a Gezer Shava Kol Kol from Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai. It says by the Levim, when they told over the Brachas and Klolos, that it was done in a kol ram, a loud voice. And by Moshe, when he told over the final eight of the Aseris Hadibros to the Jewish people, meaning he related them from Hashem to the Jewish people, Moshe Yedaber, it says Moshe spoke, and Hashem uh, elevated his voice. How does the art school translate those words, the end of that Pasuk? Third to last line on the page. Third to the last line? Yeah. 
lessons and courses the recitation must be in the Hungarian language. Call me Moshe. The recitation must be in the Hungarian language. Right after that. Just as the blessing and curses have to be in the Hungarian language. Respond to him in a voice. Respond to him in a voice. Beautiful. Thank you. So the point is right. The point is, Moshe Yadabar Alekim Ya'anenu Bekal Moshe spoke and Hashem responded in a voice. The point is, we know that Matan Tairo and Moshe told over the Asar Sadibris to the Jewish people that was done uh, in Lashna Kodesh. So therefore, just as he uses Kol by Matan Torah and he uses Kol by the Brachus and Klalos, we know Malhalam Lashna Kodesh Afkan Lashna Kodesh. One second, just as it, the, the Matan Torah, the Asar Sadibris was given in, in Lashna Kodesh, so too. The story of the Levim, the Brachas and Klolos, was in Lashna Kodesh. And since we know the Brachas and Klolos was in Lashna Kodesh, through the Gezer Shava that we just proved, Hania, we can also say Mikra Bikurim was done in Lashna Kodesh. What was it? The Jewish people? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. And I, I think that's a Medrash that's not so Mephorish where it is exactly. When it says they kept four things or three right. things, I think it's a Medrash that's not so Mephorish exactly where it is. But I think that's, the yeah, names that is true. They kept yeah. And what, you know, I always found that fascinating. The names are the first thing that went. The Jews moved to America. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and that was the one thing that saved them in terms yeah, of yeah. different hours. Listen to that Jewish names, I guess. Chalitza Ketza, good morning. Chalitza Ketza, the Mishnah told us, how do we know that Chalitza has to be done in Lashna Kodesh? Now, what it means has to be in Lashna Kodesh is there's certain psukim that we said, the woman says in the Chalitza procedure, the brother-in-law says, etc. So where do we know this from? So the Rabbanan learned it from Gezerah Shava, similar as we had yesterday, meaning regarding Bikur, Mekra Bikurim. Um, we said it's a similar language. It says, Va'ansa Va'amra. The Rabbanan said, the Pasuk says by Chalitza, she responds loudly and she says, and it also says by the Levim, Rochas and Klolos, the same language of Amira and Ania. Rabbi, Ak- Rabbi Yehuda said, you don't need that Gezer Shava because it says Kacha. Kacha means like this. What do you mean like this? In this language, it's not the simple Pshat in the Pasuk, but that's how he interprets. So the Gemara now turns to the Rabbanan and says, Rabbanan, hai Kacha my Avdileh. What do the Rabbanan do with the Pasuk of Kacha? Meaning Kacha says that there's a limitation, there's a specification. So what is it? what do they learn from it? Answers the Gemara, they require that part of the Pasuk, so it says, so the way they interpret that is, is that the word kacha is to imply, so shall be done. Anything that is an action in the Chalitza procedure is ma'akev. What do you mean it's ma'akev? It's absolutely necessary to be yaitza the Chalitza procedure. So what are the two parts that are considered actions in the Chalitza procedure? The woman has to spit. And she has to remove the shoe, which is a special shoe, from her brother-in-law. As opposed to the amira, the sayings that occur, that's not, it's, it's, it's a mitzvah for sure, but it's not absolutely necessary. That's the point. That's the Rabbanan learned from Kocha Yeyasa. Rabbi Yudah Mikai Kocha, and Rabbi Yehuda says, I learned both trashas, because it could have just said koi, right? Koi Yeyasa. The fact that it says kacha, which has two drushas in, incorporated in it, one is that it has to be done in Lashna Kodesh, two is that the actions are necessary. Rabbanan kai kacha, Rabbanan, don't imply anything from the language of kai as opposed to kacha, there's no extra drusha there. Turn to now we go to Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda, hi, Amra, my Ovid, And Rabbi Yehuda flips the script. What does Rabbi Yehuda do with Va'ansava Amra? Meaning, 
according to the Rabbanan Va'ansiva Amr that it says by Chalitza teaches us that we learn that just as the Levim was in Lashna Kodesh, also, meaning the, uh, the Brachas and Klaus was in Lashna Kodesh, also Chalitza has to be done in Lashna Kodesh. Rabbi Huda doesn't agree with that Kizir Shava. So, what does he learn from Va'ansiva Amr as stated by Chalitza? He answers Rabbi Huda Miboyle, he answers that it's required, La'agmure la Levim de Lashna Kodesh. He goes differently. He says like this that's actually the source that the brachas and klolis was done in Lashna Kodesh. Meaning, we before were learning the sources learned from Matan Torah. Is that it says we had the Gzera Shava Kol Ram, as stated by the brachas and klolis, and stated by Matan Torah. Rabbi Yudas is actually the source that the brachas and klolis of the Levim was done in Lashna Kodesh is learned from Chalitza, based on Va'ansa Va'amra, stated by Chalitza, and Ani Anamira, as stated by the Levim. Asks the Gemara the obvious question, Why wouldn't Rabbi Yehuda agree to learn the Gezerah Shava kol kol from Matan Torah? And he said he needs to learn the Gezerah Shava from Chalitza to the Levim, to, to, to the Brachas and Klalas, to teach us they were done in, in, in Lashna Kodesh. So the Gemara answers, Ania, Ania, Gamir. Rabbi Yehuda had a Gezerah Shava in terms of tradition. Gezerah Shava is based on tradition from your Rebbe. Ania, Ania, Gamir. He had a Gezer Shava, Ania, Ania, Kol Kol, like Gamir. He didn't have the tradition of Kol Kol from his Rebbe, so he could not learn the Brachas and Klaus were done in Lashna Kodesh from Matan Torah. Rather, he learned Ania, Ania from Chalitza. Tani Nami Hachi, and the Gemara says the Brisa supports this. Wherever the Torah uses these words, Koi Kacha, Ania, and Amira, it refers to being done specifically in Lashna Kodesh. Koi, where do we find Koi? Because it says by Birkas Koyanim, so you shall bless the Jewish people. That has to be in Lashna Kodesh. It's limited. Kacha de Chalitza. Kacha, as we find by Chalitza, has to be specifically done in Lashna Kodesh. Amira de Leviim. And Ani and Amira is referring to the Leviim, which is the Brachas and Klolis stated when they crossed over the Yardin, has to be specifically in Lashna Kodesh. Now, we said in the Mishnah, Brachas Uklolis, Ketzad, what was the procedure of the Brachas and Klolis? Kivan Shavri Yisrael Siyardin Chule. That's a very interesting story we're about to start here, which is the Gemara is going to now have a Machlekes Tanoim. Where exactly did the Brachas and Klolis occur? Now, in order to know that, we have to know where are Hagrizim and Harevel. Because really, right, we're going to do a little bit of a geography lesson over here. So just before we even see that, <clears throat> before the Jews crossed the yard and they were at the border, right? In, in Arvas Moab, they were in the uh, plains of Moab, right? That's where they were. Now, in the plains of Moab, um, that is the east of Eretz Yisrael, right? All right? Yeah? Mm -hmm. Everybody with me here? Transjordan? Transjordan is the east of Eretz Yisrael. Crossing over means they were going in a western direction, right? Western direction towards the west. So the Machlekes here is going to be as follows was the place of the brachas and clothes, the blessings and curses with these two mountains of Hargrizim and Har-Evel immediately upon crossing, meaning was it there immediately, there was two mountains, or was it much farther into Eretz Yisrael, farther away from the Jordan, means farther towards the west. That's going to be the debate over here. Farther inwards. That's going to be a machlekes tanoim here. Very interesting, because you think this is obvious, but apparently there was machlekes about it. Are they identified today? So I think we do, mm -hmm. specifically as we'll see, because there are certain people called Kusiyim, or today we call them the Shomronim, that hold Hargrizim, I believe, to be their holy place, which we're going to reference here as well. So I think if, if we agree with what they're saying, that would be Hargrizim, I think. I believe they hold that's the Makkah or whatever. That's what they hold. Is, is, so let's see. 
Tanravan, it says the Brisa. Now we're going to go through this Pasuk that implies in Sefer Yeshua, excuse me, at the end of Sefer Devarim, when they would travel in Sefer Devarim and try to analyze exactly where these uh, brachas and klalas were done. Says the Brisa, Tanravan, Halehema Be'ever Ayardain, was it not Be'ever Ayardain, on the other side of the Jordan? And the other side of the Jordan could either be immediately upon crossing the Yardin, or it could be farther west. So says Rabbi Huda, Me'ever liyardin ve'elech div Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda says, the brachas and klolos was done, Me'ever liyardin ve'elech. Rashi explains ve'elech means farther, distanced. It was distanced from the Jordan. It means they crossed the Jordan, mm-hmm. and then they traveled quite a bit, and then they did this procedure of the brachas well, and klolos. It doesn't say that, he, that right away after they did this, they went and collected all Set the stones. Set up stones, beautiful. So that's going right to be the there. other one's yeah. Raya, exactly. Yeah. The other one's Raya is going to be, it says that they set up the stones that day, yeah, so they couldn't going. have traveled too far. Right. It must be, that's going to be Rabbi Yezer. We'll see. Continues the Gemara. We'll go through each part of the Pasuk. So it says, after or distance from the way of the Mevoy HaShemesh. Now, what does Mevoy HaShemesh mean? It means it was distance from the place where the sun shines. Now, where does the sun shine? It means where it rises in the east. It means it was distance from the east. What does it mean, really? It was farther from the Jordan. It was farther west. Exactly. That's how Rabbi Huda interprets. In the land of the Kenani that dwell in the plains, Rabbi says this refers to the mountains of Hargrizim and Harevel that today the Kusim dwell in them. Rashi explains because when Sancheriv came and kicked out the ten tribes in the northern region of uh, Israel or Samaria, which today we, the Shomron we call it, but the point is he put other which were Goyim, actually, and that brings us to the whole Shaila. If Kusim are Geri Arroyos, Geri Emes, that's all Shaila. But the point is that Rabbi Huda is saying is today the Kusim live in that region where the Hargrizim and Haravel procedure was, was done. Mulha Gilgal, now it says opposite the Gilgal, so he would interpret, Rabbi Huda says, Samach Gilgal, it was near the Gilgal, means it was distanced enough that it was already near the place called Gilgal, Eitzel Eloine Moire, near Eloine Moire, Shechem. So Rabbi Huda says this refers to an area that we call Shechem, and it's also next to near Eloine Moire, because elsewhere by Avram Avinu it says, Vayavor Avram, Be'eretz Ba'aretz, he traveled in the land, Ad Makom, Shechem Ad Eloine Moire, he traveled till Shechem, till Eloine so we see there's an association. This is one and the same. Just as the Elon Meyer that's stated by Avram Avinu is Shechem, Afkan Shechem, so too when it states over here, Elon Meyer is referring to the place we call Shechem. This is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Okay. Good. Nice. Farther west. Good, good. Beautiful. Let's continue. Yeah. I hear. Okay. I hear you. Tanya. Now, some take out the word Tanya, I think it's not a brisa. But Tanya, I'm Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yossi said, Bedover Zezi Yafti Sifre Kusim. Utilizing this principle, we just brought, brought a Gezer Shava to show that the Elan Moira referenced by the Brachas and Kalalos is Shechem through Gezer Shava. So, regarding this idea, I falsified the books of the Kusim. Remember the Kusim. Sumerians, Shomronim, whatever you want to call them, they only believe in Torah Shebeksav, not in Torah Shebaal Peh. So they don't believe in the Koyach of Gezer Shava. They don't believe in Gezer Shava. 
So Amarti Lam Rablaz Rabyasi says, I said to the Kusiyim, Ziyaftem Taraschem, you forged your Tairas. Why? And you haven't succeeded in anything. Why? Because you say, In your Tairas, you wrote in it, Now in our Tairas, it just says, But we have Gezerah Shava, so we know that is Shem. You don't have Gezerah Shava, and yet you wrote Shem. How do you know that? We know that We agree, but We derive it through one of the has been called But how would you know it? Well, they, but they wrote it into oh, their Torahs. That's it. the point. Oh, so he's saying is, you obviously know that it's Shem because that's the reality. On the other hand, you wouldn't have any way to know that unless you have Gezer Shav. The point is that he uh, falsified their Torahs. That's Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Let's move on. Rabbi Lazar Amar, and Rabbi Lazar is a de- secondary opinion. He says like this. So again, according to Rabbi Yehuda, this area of Hargrizim and Arevel is farther west, farther into the mainland of Eretz Yisrael. Belazar Amar, so he darshans the Psukim differently. He says like this Haloi Hema, the Avra Yardin, was it not over the Yardin? Means just after crossing the Yardin, Samachli Yardin. So he says, no, it wasn't farther distance from the Yardin, farther west, closer to the Yardin, closer east. Because if you want to say that it was distance from the Yardin, farther west, it says, when you cross over the Jordan, you're going to set up these stones on that same day, so it implies it was done immediately, so it was done right away, closer to the Jordan. Now the Pasuk continues, it says, after the way of now Rabbi Yehuda interpreted that to mean farther from the rising of the sun, which means west. How does Rabbi Lazar interpret that? So he learns Mavoa Shemesh doesn't mean the rising, it means the setting. Makum Shachama Shokas. It's farther from the place that the sun sets, means farther from the west, means closer to the east, closer to the Jordan. The Eretz Akanani. Now the Gemara goes on to a question. Now the Gemara is like this one second. The Pasuk says it was Be Eretz Akanani, in the land of Kanani. Now the Gemara says Benichusa, it's understandable. That's actually Eretz Chivi. According to Rabbi Yehuda, where was this procedure done? It was done in an area which would have been Eretz Chivi, a land that people called the Chivi lived. However, Chivi are one of the nations that live in Canaan, so they could be called Canaanim. That's not difficult. The problem is, the Pasuk says, Hayoshe Ba'arava, that they lived in the flatlands. The problem is the Chivi, where Rabbi Yehuda would have held this would have occurred was those chivi where Yehuda would hold this procedure would have occurred would have been amongst the mountains and hills and furthermore Mula Gilgal the Pasuk says opposite the Gilgal and this becomes difficult according to both opinions they did not see the Gilgal they were distanced from the Gilgal and therefore how could it say it was opposite the Gilgal when they did this procedure so he says that the way you have to interpret this, these psukim, these are simonim, they're signs being given how they should traverse through the land. Not necessarily where this procedure took place. See, when they were traveling in the Midbar, they had GPS. They had Ananiyah Kavod. When, they, when, they, when Moshe Rabbeinu died, the Ananiyah Kavod left them. So they needed, Aaron died before Moshe Rabbeinu. <laughs> but it came back, the Gemara in, in uh, Rosh Hashanah tells us that it came back. But the point is, when Moshe died, they no longer had their ways. So the ways they had was the, the, these, this is Simonim they were given, how they should traverse Eretz Yisrael. Let's see. 
So the Gemara says, Relaz Rav Yaisi, Aimer Le Ba Kasev El Laharis Lahem Derech, Bishnia Kedar Shehera Bahem Lahem Barishaina. The Pasek is coming to give them direction the second time, which means when they entered Eretz Yisrael, like they had the first time, meaning when they left Mitzrayim. Just as they had direction then, they had actual direction from the pillar of cloud, but they also had directions going into Eretz Yisrael. Derech, why does it say the path? But Derech Lechu Hashem was saying, travel through the paths, Veloi Besada Sukramim. Don't travel through the fields and vineyards. It says those that dwell. Travel through the settled areas, not through the uh, deserts. The flatlands. Travel through the flatlands. Don't travel through the mountainous uh, regions. Let's finish up here. The Brisa teaches, Now we're going to get into the actual procedure of the Brachas and Kalalas. Very interesting point in our history. How did they cross the Yardin? So the Gemara tells us we know they were encamped uh, at the Yardin. They were encamped there until um, until the tenth of the tenth of Nisan, if I remember correctly. And that day they crossed over. Right? It was thirty-three days from the death of Moshe. Moshe passed away on Zion Adar. Thirty days of mourning, three more days. They prepared themselves, and then they crossed over in the tenth of Nisan. So now the Gemara tells us what was that procedure. Every day, the normal travels in the desert. The Aron would travel after two of the Degalim, two of the encampments. We know that there were four, uh, like box-like formations that the tribes were broken up into. So in general, there was two of these formations, and then the Aron would travel behind them, and then two more would follow. But the day that they crossed over the Yardin, Nasa the Aron went first. The Aron was in front of the entire Tzibor. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says, Hine Aron Abris, The Aron of the treaty of the master of the, all the land is going to travel in front of you. Every day, Leviyam Nais Nesa Aron. The Leviim used to carry the Aaron. This was a unique scenario. On this day, and we'll see two more days in history, the Kohanim specifically carried the Aaron HaKodesh. Shinemar, as it says, the instruction was given that when the feet of the Kohanim the palms of the feet of the Kohanim will step into the Yardin. Those that carry the Aron of Hashem, the water will break, meaning the water will stop flowing, and it will build up, which we'll get to tomorrow. And the point is, it emphasizes that the Kohanim were the ones who carried the Aron. Three places the Kohanim carried the Aron. One was when they crossed the Yardin, as we just stated. When they surrounded Yericho, there was this procedure that they did to conquer the heavily fortified city of Yericho. In that procedure, the Kohanim carried the Aron as well as opposed to the Levim. And three, Rashi says in the days of Shlomo Melech, when they put the Aron back in its appropriate place, in the base Kachiachadashim, the Kohanim carried it there and not the Levim. Now we're going to stop here at the bottom of Lam Gimlam Beis. Tomorrow, Lam Adalad, we're going to continue discussing the procedure of the events of that day when they crossed the Yardin. Everybody have a wonderful day.